discover Star Trek Discovery with us as we recap and critique the episodes with a little sass and humor. Okay, maybe a lot of sass and laughter. Ready to laugh with us? Hello and welcome to Trekkie and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. I'm Monika. And I'm Andrea. And welcome to episode 12, Through the Valley of the Shadows. This episode takes place a little bit after episode 11. Um, it's a couple, I'm thinking maybe a couple days, a couple weeks have passed. And the USS Discovery, they now see a fourth signal um, in a new world. And Pike, when he goes there, is forced to make a very tough decision and a very emotional decision. While Burnham and Spock investigate a Section 31 ship that's gone missing. So let's get into it. What was your initial reaction about this episode? I am so happy that finally I get closure for two important aspects <laughs> of this journey I've been waiting for. Okay. That Reno is back. Yes. <laughs> with a snap. And so, so like she wasn't just like in the back scene, like it as an extra. She had some really good points in that. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. And I have to admit a few episodes ago um, in the point of light discussion, I went on a tant about um the son of nun's baby so um bulk and laurel's baby and so now i have closure because he's back in this episode so the son of nun is all grown up and so we get to learn more about him so i'm excited about those two things what about you i did not hate this episode um i mean i'm really happy um there were some great decisions and there were some very stupid decisions in this episode and then i liked that there um with pike there is a i don't know if i believe everything that's happened that's, that happened with pike so there's a little bit of more intrigue and wonder and then also jet is back and jet is back with a vengeance and i love jet yeah i love her I love that character and I hope that she stays around a little bit longer than just one episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's get into this episode and discuss some of our like favorite points and things that really sort of stood out to us. So the opening scene, we see Michael is talking to her adoptive mom, Amanda. Um, and I was like, oh, this is a very interesting little tete-a-tete thing because you have your, it's like you have your birth mom, you have your adoptive mom and like you, where like you sort of gave all your love to your adopted mom because you believed your real mom well biological mom was gone and now your biological mom's back but she's gone again but I think Amanda handled it in a very uh, very good manner and she didn't act in a sort of a jealous manner which is makes me think Amanda is such a great mom um <laughs> doesn't always make the best decisions but she does love her kids and how she basically was just like she's still your mom yeah. and don't think don't be this as a bad thing this is a good thing you this is a thing you can heal from. Um, and it was nice to also see Spock talk to his mom and see the, her, like, the mom see her kids together, working <laughs> together as fun. Um, what did you think about that part? Yes, I think that also helps put a little bit of closure to the riff that um, Amanda saw the last time Michael and Spock were together. So the last time she saw them, Michael was like, not really like, I don't know, supportive of her brother and mm -hmm. Michael's always like confused in a roller coaster ride so it's nice to I, I can see as a proud moment like after your two kids fight that oh look they're they're like brother and sister again everything's well in the world <laughs> it was a little awkward to start but I think it 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 showed a connection and a, and a progress forward definitely agree um, and so the episode after that sort of goes the opening scene, um, credits and all that stuff. And so then we go to basically the beginning of the episode and Discovery is in orbit around Boreth, which is the planet that Ash, um, Tyler, left his and Laurel's son because he couldn't raise him himself. Um, and this, I will say this is very interesting because it, when the signal was there, Michael does her first dumb decision. And I'm just in this episode of actually, I want to say this might be her. No, she made more, more than one dumb decision this episode. Never mind. But this is the beginning of her first dumb statement. <laughs> um, thank you for correcting me with your face. <laughs> um, of saying the signals don't matter. And it's like, no, chick, they do matter. You're just upset. And 
I don't understand what is her issue with just admitting she's emotional because she's basically stating that, you know, these signals don't matter because she thought they came from the Red Angel. Now she knows the Red Angel didn't send them. The Red Angel is her mother and her mom's gone. Her fault, by the way. I'm so sorry, Michael. I love you, but this one was your fault. Um, and she's like, they, they don't, why, why are we even looking for the signals anymore? Like, honey, you don't get to sit there and negate actual fact because these are real reasons. Like these are real things that are happening just because they're not going to lead you to your mom. You want to go after Leland. You want to have to go section 31 and you can't get revenge on him. And I just want to say, sort of your fault why your mom can't come back. Yes. I'm sorry, but it's not really Leland's fault. I mean, control Leland's fault. It is, but if you had just let your mom leave when she wanted to, he would have never had a chance to destroy her suit. I'm sorry, I have to say it. So right. you're just basically taking it out on your job and you need to stop that. Right. And she's not a captain. She's not a key decision maker. So slow your roll, Michael. <laughs> let Mike, let Pike, the captain, do his thing and make these mm -hmm. decisions because you're not good at making these types of decisions. And Spock even told you that. <laughs> yes. Because it is... Every time she's emotional, but tries to leave her emotion out of logic, she's making an emotional decision and it's never a good one. And I just need her to break, I need to break her out of that. We're waiting on it. Hopefully it'll happen soon. Um, it shows her immaturity when she does these types of things. Her, especially her emotional immaturity, because right. I feel like yeah. instead of like processing her emotions, she blocked them. And now that everything's coming to the surface, she doesn't know how to handle it. So it shows, it shows really how emotionally immature she is. Um, but you also see that Tyler admits to, um, Michael that it's his son is there or Volks and Laurel's son is there, not his biologically, but like his emotionally and mentally, which is such a gray area, but he's there. Um, and they have like a little moment, which I thought was totally forced and didn't need to happen. What about, did you think that hug was needed? No, I actually thought that maybe she was going to be mad because he didn't share this information with her. But I understand why he did not mm -hmm. because this is top secret. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but I know that sometimes Michael can overreact and I wasn't sure how she was going to react to this part. You're definitely right. You're, yeah, I agree. I didn't know how she was going to act too, which is why I felt like that scene was a little bit forced. I was like, uh, did that? Okay, we didn't really need to see all of that. Um, it wasn't a lot, but still too much for me. Again, people, I'm dead inside. I'm sorry. Um, so we see Laurel comes to Discovery and Tyler goes to see her and they have like a little bit of a heated argument. Um, and I have to admit, this is where Tyler was about to make the dumb decision of the day because he was like, I'm going to go down to Boreth and talk to them and Laurel's like you're supposed to be dead <laughs> how are you going to go to the Kl a Klingon site to talk right. to other Klingons when right. you're supposed to be dead I right. literally I didn't tell people you were dead and just couldn't find your body I showed them a fake head right Tyler what but, were you thinking like well, why would I you think that's a good idea <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking, because I could see Pike in the middle of the two of them looking back and forth, thinking, oh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot more to this. I know I didn't know Ash's full story, but this is a whole lot, a whole lot of Jerry Springer going on. But I was thinking, why don't they have this conversation outside, like in another room, and then come back with a solution? Oh, she Pike? did. She did want that. She, Laurel did want to do that. Yeah. Pike, I think Pike said no. Yeah. I just thought it was just a little, well, because also this was their secret mission mm -hmm. and control is running rampant. How do they know really that either Pike would keep this a secret? And then also like if control is listening or if control is inside of Pike, like, how do you know any of this? And Ash, you were just involved in this. <laughs> how do you even, how do we even know this is Ash, the true Ash? <laughs> because he's making a dumb decision that's how he knows the truth right, so last time we saw ash he was like stabbed in the stomach and so like and then I, oh. well that's, what, that's that's why i said like i think a couple 
at least a couple of weeks have passed between yeah. last episode and this episode. It doesn't tell us exactly how much time, but that's why I'm like, I think a couple of weeks have passed. Right. Um, because I was like, yeah, you're healed pretty quickly, dude. <laughs> um, and we don't see Georgia because she's searching for Leland. So that's why I'm like, okay, I think it's been a couple of weeks since last episode and this episode. Um, but Laurel tells them that the time crystals are kept down there in Bereth um, at that, like their sanctuary and they're the timekeepers. And Pike's like, well, I'll go and down there. And Laurel's like, okay, you can go, but understand I have no sway with them. I can set up a meeting, but they don't answer to me. So like go at your own risk, <laughs> which I thought was sort of a nice little interesting, uh, like it was, I felt like it was like her version of a warning. Like they don't answer to me. I can't offer you protection when you're down there. So I, what happens, happens. And Pike decides he's still going to go. Um, and so he gets down there and we meet this Klingon and we don't know at first who he is. Um, it's an older Klingon, definitely an older Klingon. Like he looks almost older than Pike by the way that he looks. Right. right. Um, at least by Klingon standards, because he also has, he has white hair. Um, and Pike explains why he's there and why he wants to, why he needs a time crystal and all the information. And they're like, no, many people have come with the clean, with saying they had the pure of heart, but they always leave broken and dejected. Um, we're not going to trust you. And Pike basically, you know, talks his way through, proves that he's a good person. And he ends up finding out that the person that he's talking to is actually Tyler and Laurel's son who's a grown-up and he's like how your father left you here as a baby months ago and we find out that time there moves differently for people who are timekeepers and so I think that's very interesting like did he like it's like I know we I know in our by our our understanding he had an accelerated growth rate but did he experience all those years in his own way because it's like, we don't, he says time moves differently there. So it's like, is, does it move slower while he's there? And so he was able to grow up like a few months there is really like a few years uh, or a lot of years, apparently, because we see a tree grow from infancy to, I mean, from a sapling to a full grown tree, but it's very time. Like that was very interesting because he talks like he's more than a few months old. He talks right. like he has years and years of experience, right? But he's only a couple months old, right. so like, how does time move there? And keep in mind too, Michael Burham's mom had the time crystal, and she didn't seem to age a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I I don't know. There's this is the big mystery with um, this time crystal and this red angel. How this all unfolds. It's just if, what a coincidence. Yeah. That, <laughs> that the baby that they gave up happens to grow up. I don't think Ash knew that the time crystals were located there. No, he did. Oh. I, he definitely didn't know. <laughs> I think Laurel knew. I think Laurel knew. Look, yeah, Laurel did know because she's the one who talked about time crystals. Duh, Andrea. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that this would come full circle as as much as it has. Because I was expecting we see a little toddler baby down there, like little nya, 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 all that stuff, and it was like, oh, you're a full grown man. Hello. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to see you. <laughs> but it is also nice to see that he did not end up like crazy like without his parents like yes. the monastery raised him well he seemed to be like their i don't leader, know seems almost. to be yeah <laughs> yeah he seemed to be like their leader <laughs> right right <laughs> because you never know with an orphanage or you know when you're dropping off a kid at someone's doorstep what's going to happen so at least it worked out well for the, yeah the child and then we also see pike um so Tevek or Tenevik, T-E-N-A-V-I-K, because I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, takes Pike to basically where the time crystals are. He's basically going to test Pike to see if he's worthy enough to leave with the time crystal. And the future that he shows Pike, he's like, um, is Pike is on a, on a, it's not the discovery, but it's, he's on some ship. It could be his, it, it could be the Enterprise or it could be another ship. And their reactor is basically about to blow up. And Pike 
basically almost sacrifices himself so his crew members can live and then we see pike is basically comatose in a moving in like one of their versions of like a, a wheelchair and our pike has like a little bit of a mental breakdown like for a split second it's like oh my god what did i see he's like that's your and he's told that's his future um and that's where i feel like might be a lie i feel like that's a test so they show him a horrible future and say that if you take take it that horrible future is what's set in stone for you to see if they're like okay well i'm not going to take it because i don't want that future and pike has to like rationalize this is bigger than him he has to he like if he doesn't do this the entire universe dies but in that future he's alive so it must mean and he's wearing like an admiral coat i think or something like that so it's like it must mean that he was able to stop control he's like this is bigger than him so he takes the crystal and sees that future of himself being in a comatose being comatose basically um and accepts that and so that makes me wonder back to when he says well, many people come thinking that they are pure of heart and leave broken i wonder if that was like a test and the timekeeper just never told him it was a test to see if he was willing to risk an awful future to save the world. I agree with you. I think that was a test. I think that many people failed previously mm -hmm. um, and could not then leave with the time crystal. And I don't know what happened because once it, someone finds out about that, that's like, I don't know. That's that's a huge change. And um, I'm surprised more people didn't count, go to that area. But um, that that scene where they showed him in a comatose state, that is connected to the original series. And I only know this because I like Googled it, looked it up. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so um, a few episodes ago, they like showed some flashbacks to um, an earlier scene in or yes an earlier scene in the original series this is also a connection um so now though pike knows that that could be his his destiny that will be his destiny but he's deciding to pursue it anyway knowing that and he's a good starfleet soldier to persist even knowing that no mm. matter what they do with time this is still going to be an outcome I, I hope it's a test and they change his outcome because I don't want that for Pike. Even in the movies, he doesn't have the best outcome anyway. But <laughs> like, I just sort of hope that's not his outcome. I love Pike, but I'm gonna hope they change. I'm gonna hope they change it. That's okay. my hope. Um, so then we see that Pike does get the time stone and he goes back to the Enterprise. And so that's like his storyline in this episode. And I liked it. I liked having a Pike-centric uh, storyline. Did you? Yes, and I'm looking forward to more about Pike with his own spinoff series. Strange New World. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other, um, we'll, we'll talk about Michael's uh, storyline in the second half of this episode, but the other part of this episode that's amazing is Jet's storyline in this episode and how she's a meddler. And I love how she meddled <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> So we see a scene between um, Dittner, Nielsen, um, Stamets, Linus, and I'm so sorry, I cannot pronounce the, the Black actress's uh, character's name. Joanne. Joanne, her first name, because I cannot pronounce the last name. I do apologize, people. Um, they're sitting there having lunch, and, Stam and um, Stamets is, Paul, is looking very glum and sad and just unhappy and then jet comes to the table and she's like dude we just did a sport jump why aren't you excited why aren't you happy and i want to be like where have you been jet <laughs> um and he she's like look we're about to have a raw time crystal get your espresso in we have a lot of work to do and then we see hugh walk in and paul is like broken hearted and everyone at the table is just like oh sad and jet being jet's like you're not over that yet didn't he like move out months ago what's going on and i'm like jet <laughs> i busted out laughing at that part i had to pause because i was laughing so hard at like how matter of fact she was about like he moved out I'm like like what's going on and i'm like jet, it's not that simple 
It's not that simple. Like, I understand why he moved out and I respected, I respect why he moved out. But Paul is still allowed to be sad about it. Let him, like, he already mourned him, got him back and lost him again. He's right. allowed to be a little sad. And then it's not even that he went to a different ship. Yeah. He's still on the ship. <laughs> yeah. And I like Paul's response. Eat your protein. Like, yeah. <laughs> try, like changing the subject because... You don't want to spill your beans about your ex in the cafeteria with your coworkers. Yes. <laughs> so, so what really was he, what kind of, a, what, how could he possibly like react to that to like move change the subject? Like, what can he even say? That's not right. already, that's had not already been said. Because Jet, if you've been in these episodes consistently, you will know everything that's going on, but you haven't been. And I'm upset about that, but don't hurt Paul. I still have hope for Paul and Hugh, but they need to heal individually before they can come back together. But Jet being the amazing meddler that she is, goes to sick bay with a finger up. And is like, I have, I need medical attention. <laughs> and Hugh comes over and I have to say, I, <laughs> she had a hangnail. Like she didn't even like cut herself. She had a hangnail and went to medical attention to get Hugh to come over. And she was like, I have an issue. She tried to do like a little rhyme and said it with a doctor wh- whose name rhymes with Pew, Poo. And she's like, yeah, I'm an engineer and not a poet. And he was just sort of like going along with it. And then we find out that Jet is married. Um, and the two of them sort of bond over how over the top their partners are, which is very interesting because in the very first season, the way Hugh took care of Paul, I thought Hugh was the one who was more over the top, but like him coming back or like he at least matched Paul's energy of being like over the top and coming back, he doesn't mark, mark, match Paul's energy as like being that over the top energy, high energy person. Because in the beginning, in the first season, he, I felt like he, they matched each other's energy pretty well. Like they were both high energy and I didn't realize it or it really didn't hit me until uh, Jet was like sort of when they were almost sort of making fun of how neurotic both of their partners were. And I was like, but weren't you a little neurotic in the first season? Am I not remembering that correctly? <laughs> oh yeah. And I thought that Hugh, Hugh outwardly disagreed with Lorca yeah and was very defensive of that i also appreciated the fact that jet opened up about the loss of her love of Mm -hmm. her wife and i think that made hugh realize something and that that something is that paul is still alive and at least they have time with each other this could be far worse right so and yeah and so but she also warns him she was like you have a second chance but that's not going to last forever because once paul moves on who's to say he wants to open up again so it's like uh i understand you need to heal and and i want you to understand you were given the second chance that no one else ever gets but that doesn't mean the second chance is going to last and paul's going to wait for you until you're ready right because or he's not going to be there when you're ready right paul's accepted a position at the vulcan science academy he's ready to leave once this whole this issue is worked out so he could move on and they're just not even on the same ship anymore yeah so i think that was a great fun thing for him but also a warning for him um to realize you're going to lose him if you don't make if like do you still want him i figure that out because if you do you need y'all need to work this out because this is not going to work out you paul's not going to be waiting in the wings forever right and if you don't let him go don't make sure he has no hope that you two will ever will ever get back together and i think that's a come to Jesus moment for them because I think Hugh needs that because even though I'm fully support even though I fully support him figuring out who he is before they get back together um he needs to let Paul know that he eventually wants to get back together and not a we'll see what happens when I get myself together 
Right. Because there's a difference of allowing someone to come to terms with a big life-altering decision or life-altering change on their own instead of forcing them to go through it with you. But it, but you also have to let them know, like, look, I want this to work, but I need to work through this real quick. So please, I promise you, I'm coming back to you. Just let me ha- let me work through this or don't wait for me because I don't know. And Hugh's, I feel like Hugh did the first part of letting Paul know that he needs to work through something, but I don't think he ever let Paul know, is there a maybe? I think we're hoping that there's a maybe. Right. So. Yeah, you, yeah a trial separation cannot last forever. That's why it's called a trial separation. The longer it takes for both parties to at least talk later, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. so i think that's a good place to pause so we will take a quick break and then we'll be right back to discuss michael and spock because they have a whole journey this episode (laughs) don't go anywhere we'll be right back and welcome back to trekking and beyond so welcome back to part two and this part of this episode we're going to be talking about everything spock and michael mostly Spock from my end, but whatever. <laughs> so while Pike is down on Bereth, um, Ash points out that a Section 31 ship was late in checking in. And that's not heard of for Section 31 ships. They have to check in, I think, every hour on the hour, or basically whatever, whenever they have to check in, you're not late. You're never late, ever. Um, but when the ship did check in, it, they stated that they were late because they were in a, um, where they were, they could not send a signal that because it wasn't safe or something like that and so michael makes the decision to go and search because it's totally logical for her who has the most emotionally invested um uh, most she's the most emotionally invested person in the outcome of this because she's looking for leland to go to a section 31 ship by herself and saru allows her to go and it's like she thought she would have to she said like i really think I, i thought i had to do more of like a convincing and he's like ever since my change i'm a little i'm a different type of captain now almost like (laughs) yeah he's taking more risk he's not afraid as um as much before but i'm surprised i would think saru would want to send the security chief with her someone else because we just went through what's it project Yes, on, on at the command headquarters, in which she could not make a decision to eject Ariel. So why are you sitting here alone? Like, right. come on, like you it's all know she's lying when she's saying she, this isn't an emotional decision. You all know she's lying, and you're enabling this. You're enabling this. Hi. Join Starfleet and we'll enable bad emotional decisions. <laughs> but I love to see that as she's like packing up to go, Spock comes and she's like, I don't need you to come with me. And he's like, let's go, sister. <laughs> I love how he's like playing the annoying little brother to her. Like, mm, right. whatever, let's go, sister. She's like, you're not but- a brother. <laughs> but sometimes, actually, mo- all the time, he's much more mature. So he really is. <laughs> he's the mature, more mature, younger brother. It's weird. <laughs> um, because I feel like that's because he's really able to separate logic and emotion. Like he's able to feel his emotions, and like he doesn't view feeling his emotions as a negative so much as she does. Mm-hmm. I think. I think that's their difference. Is that she tries to shut off her emotions and then all of her actions are the result of her emotions and Spock is able to combine the two in a little bit more of a healthy manner and it's weird because he's only half human he's only half human and and she's full human but I think it's because she tried to be Vulcan so much she never really understood how to use her emotions when she was going through that the time where we learn, you know? <laughs> so I think that's why, because he likes his emotions and she's trying to shut them off. And I feel like that's why he's always making the better decisions than she is. Which again, I need her to w- work her way through this because I do love Michael. I love her, but I want better for her and I need better for her. And the only way she's going to do it is if she works at it. 
and stops making dumb emotional decisions. Anyway, <laughs> so as they're going, they're having sort of a conversation and um, Spock sort of says, oh, so you're angry. And she's like, I'm not angry. I'm enraged about basically everything that's going on um, and how everything they thought was wrong. And Spock is like, well, rage is the enemy of logic, basically saying you can't really... Well, I took it as you can't really be doing something logical if you're enraged. You're not thinking correctly if you're letting your emotions run you. And I think that was a good call out because like we just said, she tends to act on emotion and says it's logic, but she's not actually using her logic. And then she always makes the wrong decision when she acts emotionally. Yep. Did you have any thought about their their drive together, their little road trip to the Section 31 ship. I'm glad that he volunteered for that mission uh, to assist. I, once again, I think there should be more people with them, especially if you're going to check out a Section 31 ship. <laughs> it should have been more than just the two. And Tilly was not in this episode, but- Oh like, my God. Right. So maybe like Tilly, maybe like someone else just to like, because she wasn't as, in this episode. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. And, and when I watched the credits, I was like, I don't remember being Tilly. And I watched the credits much more slowly. I was like, yeah, she wasn't here. <laughs> but there, uh, her, maybe security chief, just, just several other people. Because this was, sorry, go ahead. Because later on, we definitely need more eyes on what's going on. <laughs> and this would have been the one that Ash should have gone with her because he's section 31. Yeah. Ash should have came with them because if anyone wanted to question why right. they were coming after a section 31 ship, he could have been like, look, I was with the Discovery. I need like Ash should have and I understand that he wanted to understand what was going on with his son but at the same time you really if anything went wrong and you were boarded by a Klingon ship you know the Klingon ship that has that LaRoe came on you know the one where you're supposed to be dead maybe you shouldn't be on Discovery at this moment with her right because who's yeah. to say who might randomly show up? I was really expecting someone to find out that he was still alive in this episode. Like I really was. I my my heart was on fire about that. So I was like, why didn't Ash go with um with Michael and Spock? Definitely believe Spock still should have went because I feel like he's the only one who's able to get through Michael um, and call her out on the fact that you are being emotional. You say you're not, but you are. Um or sorry, not. I don't want to say it like she's not allowed to have emotions, but when she's using her emotions instead of logic, he's the only one who's able to truly call her out on it. Because um, I do believe she should be able to show emotions, yeah, like they all should, but not let emotions dictate her decisions. I agree with you. Ash would have been a really good call to bring along on this mission for Section 31 because he's the liaison mm -hmm. for Discovery. And then also ambassador cromwell because who the only person that can really put section 31 in check would be another sorry admiral admiral cornwell the only people have to be like higher up in the chain and i think like four admirals for control for um section 31 died so <laughs> you need like a, another admiral to help endorse this mission or help like i don't know sign off Whew. well plot thickens Yes. And so we see that Spock and Michael arrive to where the Section 31 ship is and, or the missing, missing-ish Section 31 ship is, and it's just a sea of frozen bodies. And I was horrified. That's like one of the worst ways to die, in my opinion, because like you freeze rapidly, but at the same time, is it fast enough? Like to know you're being sucked out of like a hoot, like, ugh the entire section 31 ship crew is outside in space floating around the ship. And so Spock and Michael do, uh, you know, they search for life forms and they're able to find one body in the EVA suit. Um, and they bring him on or they bring the person on and Michael recognizes it as um, someone named Grant or sorry, someone named Gant who she worked with 
or served with on the Shinzo. So it was nice to see someone from the original, you know, another person who survived from the Shinzo. Um, cause I, there were so few and far between, <laughs> yeah. um, that someone else survived and because he was like, I, he's like, he was basically trying to block out control and I, he's like, he was basically trying to block control out of the ship and control realized what he was doing and vented everyone out of the ship. And he was able to get into an EV suit before he was like pushed out too, which was strike number one. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna do that a little bit later well also they did not send a message back to discovery to tell them that first of all the whole and that people is what we call ejected, strike number two right ejected out into space like hello at least get that information out yes <laughs> yes I'm sorry. Are you speaking? Are you speaking logic right now? I think you're speaking logic right now, Monica. <laughs> oh, because um, that would have been my first thing I sent back. Oh, Discovery, we have arrived at the location of the missing Section 31 ship. There are hella bodies out here in space. I mean, like all of them. I mean, oh my God, every single person from this ship is out as out in space. If right. something happens to us, send help. Right. Send help now. Reinforcement. Something went down over here. I don't know what. And then, oh, look, we have found a, a person named Gant. He was in the Shinzo with Michael. He said that when everyone else was ex, um, vented out of the ship, he was able to get into an environmental suit. How was he able to get into an environmental suit when you said everyone was kicked out? But that's mm. a question for later. <laughs> They realize that they have to go onto the Section 31 ship to figure out what happened and why it killed the entire crew, which in my opinion, just blow up the ship. Or like call Starfleet, like, hey, we found the ship. This entire right. crew is dead. Right. What you want us to do with the ship? Right. But don't board it without calling back to Discovery to say what happens. Because you know you. what happens when they get on the ship? The <laughs> ship goes to warp. It goes to warp. And where are you going in this ship? And does Discovery know where you are? What's that old thing? It's 8 p.m. Do you know where your children are? We're like, hey, Discovery, do you know where your crew members are? <laughs> and when it went to warp, I was, because at first I didn't really think about, the first time I watched it, I didn't really think about, oh, they didn't call back to Discovery until they went to warp. And I was like, huh, does anyone know where they are? Does anyone know that they left the ship right now? I don't think so. Not smart. <laughs> and when they get on the ship, they realize that they have to sort of block out control in a scientific map. They may have to go to the computer room, hold the cage door open, and like re manually reboot the core to basically block out control from the ship so spock decides he's gonna go and so michael is talking to gant um back on the on the section 31 ship and they she's asking well how did you end up here and he was like you know after the battle of the binary stars i had doubts and section 31 you know they had their threat assessment thing and to make sure that another war would never break out and i'm like okay that's a good idea he's like you know they wanted to figure out all the threat assessments and figure out how to stop a war from it ever beginning. And they had, now here's where he's messed, here's, here's messed issue number three, because he, instead of saying, I thought that control would have been a good thing, but it turns out it was wrong or I was wrong for believing that. But instead he was like, but with control, it was possible. And then she sort of like, Michael had this little what like what what did he say <laughs> right and he said something about a way to guarantee a safer future mm -hmm. and i feel like i've heard that before i'm not exactly sure where i heard that i don't know if leland had said it but leland under control or someone else but i was like hmm, that's a little how do you know it's going to be a safer future well, that's a little sketchy um, and then we see Spock at the same time while he's in the cage room, realizing he's like search for control. And like one member of control is found in the ship. And he realizes 
that Gant, at the same time that Michael realizes that Gant is infected with by control. And so as Michael tries to quickly go to her phaser, quickly but slowly go to her phaser, Gant's like, if you go there, I'll be across the room and I'll break your metacarp, your meta, her hands, her metatarsal bones or metacarpal bones, meta something bones. I can't remember which one it is in your hands. Um, <laughs> and like, I'll break your hand basically before you even grab the phaser. And Spock is trying to get to Michael, trying to talk to Michael and he can't get anything out to her. And Michael's trying to explain what's going on. And Gant basically says control wants her. In a very roundabout way, control wants to control her. Right. <clears throat> um, and Spock, we see a little bit of strength of him like pushing those doors open to get to a sister to save her, um, is able to send a message over the PA system that Gant is control. And use, it's enough time for Gant to be able to get distracted where Michael can grab her phaser and start firing at him. Um, and Gant gets Michael on the floor and he has a syringe and he's about to inject her. And I'm like, no. And then Spock comes in and tries to do the Vulcan nerve pinch. And it don't go so well. <laughs> because Gant doesn't have any nerves right now. Right? <laughs> and my baby gets injured. I'm sorry about that. Like that, I was, that was that was tough to watch. Um, and then we see that he's basically trying to find a way to stop him while Michael is like firing away again over and over and over and over again. And we see the nanobots are like, get died with everyone else, but we reanimated him to use him. But now we want you. Um, and she's firing away at these nanobots, and they just keep bringing Gant back together over and over and over again until they leave him creepily almost like Terminator and start going across the floor and Michael's like up against the wall. She's holding, <laughs> I just wanna say, I was laughing at how she was holding the phaser and she was holding both of them like gangster style, like shooting, uh, 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 no, I need to kill you, I need to kill you. <laughs> well, I was thinking, get up and run. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, Michael. It was. <laughs> but Gant was tossing her around, uh, around that, I don't know that bridge area. So earlier, yeah, she yeah, might be a little tired. Yeah, that was a lot of fighting, and maybe she got injured or something. But and those yeah, things probably are heavy. Yeah. So, what did you think about? What did you think about the fight scene? I'm so glad Spock wants to get. Oh my goodness, Spock saved a day. If he was not on that mission, Michael would be part of control, and who knows where else this would go. Uh, but. Um, and Spock like quickly, I think, reprogrammed something so that it demagnetized the flooring. So that no, it magnetized the flooring. Magnetized the flooring. Okay. So, so the that, got stuck. Yeah. Wouldn't their and, EVA suits be stuck too? I was wondering that, but neither here nor there. Oh. I was like, are, wouldn't they be stuck as well? But I was like, I'm not going to open that plot hole, but I just did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is another reason why whenever you're like going hiking or somewhere, you should always tell someone that where you're going and, um, because something could dangerously could go wrong. And, um, uh, and it did in this case, it's, they were just very trusting of Gantt and, um, I, I'm disappointed at Michael and, and like, she's definitely not ready to be a captain. Not yet. <laughs> she just makes all of these little mistakes. This is crazy. Um, what else did you think about that section? That's that scene. I thought that Michael needs to do a little bit more hand-to-hand combat training. Cause I feel like every uh, time she's in a, and I, I should say hand-to-hand combat training because she can fight, we can see, we've seen that she can fight, but whenever it's like her life is, I don't know, it just seems like there are some, some episodes where she can fight and hold her own, and then there are episodes where she gets wrecked, and it's like, it's either she can fight or she can't. Mm. Got it. So I just, I don't know, it's not consistent in my opinion about how she 
like what's her level of hand-to-hand combat training because i feel like like with arium it looked like she could fight but with gant it didn't look as that she could fight as well mm. or as well as she did when she fought arium so i don't know what and today both times she was wearing the eva suit so yeah and that actually reminds me of another thing that i noticed with controlling gant is that control seems to be much more comfortable in human skin yes over time it's getting much better like the original when control entered in the leland it was kind of stiff you could tell that it wasn't exactly him now i don't remember um gant's characteristics and his reactions and things like that but he seemed normal (laughs) yep no you're right you're definitely right like with leland control was too mission oriented to really understand the human dynamics of the fact that because you know because like i said like well like i like i said like a control set leland has a tendency of making the hard choices and being like making those um choices that could end someone's life but there's a human way of doing that and leland while is an while is a awful person personally he always put starfleet first starfleet first and so i think control didn't really understand that um and so now with gant he's had a better chance to study well hopefully he studied not hopefully probably (laughs) he studied um other people in section 31 but it also goes to show how much people on leland's ship is under section under control's control um before he got to leland because when he said when control took over leland i'm sorry when control took over gant gant was already dead so who was he studying to understand the mannerisms you know right so it must mean he already knew the mannerisms from other people than leland because i don't think he was human enough with leland to be human enough with gant so even though we only know that it's leland and gant right now who's to say that control hasn't had a chance to study other take over other humans on the section 31 ship that Leland left on to understand how other humans interact with each other before he took over Gant. Yes. And also during like Gant's confession, um, he mentioned Mm -hmm. that they thought that they selected Michael because Michael would have access to the spear data. And it made me seem as though they were that control was listening to Michael's personal logs or something. Cause they seem to like know more about her decisions um, fairly recently in this process. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, Oh my goodness. I wonder if um, control is still on discovery, but otherwise how would they know about um, what happened post Leland, but, and how she was reacting to this. So it's who knows how far this whole, how far control has spread mm-hmm. um and that's well, we're really- about to find out in the, in the next scene though because <laughs> that's actually really interesting because like actually no we don't find out because who's to say that's the full extent of the control it could that could just be a little drop in a bucket right that's my earlier statement we don't you're correct we don't know how far controls control went right so 31 section 30 section 31 ships <laughs> are en route after discovery <laughs> because after michael and uh spock make it back to discovery they explain everything that's going on and they're saying control had the ability to take over more bodies and that's when the section 31 ship comes and another one and another one until we get to that 30 section 31 that's a really hard number to say like right off the bat <laughs> each other 30 section 131 set, hmm, yeah. you what monica said earlier <laughs> um those ships are surrounding discovery and they all want the sphere data data and michael makes a very rash decision in my opinion and so i have to say something because the time crystal is back on discovery because pike is back with the time crystal and he does tell Laurel and um, Ash that he saw their son and their son is a grown man. Their son is actually older than they are right now. Um, we see that, uh, that their son gives Tyler back his torchbearer emblem. 
um because because like, he needed it growing up which again tells me those months like i felt like those were years not months that he um and like they're having a cute little thing cute little he has a cute little moment with himself like oh my son is he's a grown man he doesn't need me anymore tears <laughs> um and then the the 30 section 31 ships show up um I have a question. Was Laurel still on the ship at that point? I don't think I saw her. Did she leave? Did, did we see her leave? Or did we just, she's yeah. just gone? Characters just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> like Cromwell just disappeared. <laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. Because I was like, wait, was she not? Like, don't the Klingons, shouldn't they be worried about 30, 30, about 30 section 31 ships? Yeah. Like just randomly popping up. Shouldn't they be a little worried? I was like, wait, Lorel wasn't on that last scene, I don't think. Yeah, and I can't imagine that she can pursue this undercover mission for very long. Seems like she needs to get back to cling on to her yeah. original duties before there's their um I don't know, they they think that there's something up. Right? Yeah. Um, no, agree. And so Michael makes a decision that they need to blow up Discovery to destroy the data. And I can somewhat understand that concept if the spore drive was offline, because literally you could blink to the other side of the universe. They can't get you to you that quickly. Yes, they will continue to follow you, but you can blink to the other side of the universe like that. Why not try that and then, because one, you're going to evacuate with 30, 30, 30 section 31 ships surrounding you. Who's to say they don't transport your people against their will onto your onto their ships? Right. Why would you not blink away first and then evacuate and blow it up in a safe distance where they're like not there to immediately try and get the wreckage and salvage what they can? Right. So for those that I can't see me right now, the moment we started talking about this whole theory from Michael that they should destroy discovery, I crossed my hands over my chest and closure as a closed moment because I feel as though this is a stupid idea because I don't <laughs> think the spear is going to let it happen. <laughs> the spear <laughs> would not let it delete. Like, so why would the spear let them do this? And the spear like push discovery over to save itself. Like the spear is not going to agree to this. <laughs> Hello, folks. <laughs> and they have a time crystal on discovery. Yes. Does anyone not see this? So Michael makes a point to say that once they have the time crystal, they can push that. Well, my, the reason they wanted the time crystal to begin with was to take the crystal to take um, to push the information in the future like they like the original plan was because they needed they needed the um, power of a supernova to power the time crystal. Now, it may not be a full power of the supernova, but the spore drive and the warp drive being exploded. Is that not a powerful piece of power? <laughs> Is that not something that could maybe power a time crystal and propel everyone within the ship somewhere else? Plus, this decision should be above their pay grade. <laughs> like destroying a discovery ship like that they should talk of, talk to like some other admirals about come on michael like this is not your decision and even pike i was like really pike <laughs> oh like you know no. this is not how your future ends <laughs> like you should have jumped away because no matter what no other section 31 has a spore drive Yes, they can warp to wherever you go, but doesn't warp take hours still? Right. You don't just instant you're there. So jump to literally the other side of the universe and take those couple of hours to come up with another plan. And if they come again, jump to another part of the universe and come up with another plan. And if not, then jump to another part of the universe where no one is there and then blow up the ship. But your first option should not be boom. 
Right. With a time crystal on board, that needs a supernova to work and you're going to make an explosion of massive proportions. I think, hear me out, because again, remember people, I have not seen um, anything past like these current episodes. I think Discovery is going to get pushed somewhere in time and they're going to be responsible for the seven signals that Starfleet has received. Right, because we still don't have closure because Michael's mom said that she didn't know anything about those seven signals. And so I think that those seven signals were pushed by Discovery to get certain, the one, because one was to find Jet, like everything was to save, was to help them find more about the Red Angel. And a lot of those things, those seven signals were, were centered around people of the Discovery on the Discovery ship. So I think those signals came from someone in discovery to make sure the loop still happened you know mm. that's what i think because you have the time crystal on board that needs a powerful source of power to work and you're about to blow up the ship i think they're going to get sent somewhere in time that's my thought process i don't know all i, I know that. is the show is called Star Trek Discovery. I'm expecting a Discovery ship for the length of the series. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. We already killed off a lot of people with the Shenzhou. Let's not do this again. <laughs> I mean, granted, they could always rebuild it and name it Discovery 2. <laughs> <laughs> returns to the enterprise there's two episodes left in the series in the season in the season so guess we'll find out in the next few weeks <laughs> yeah because uh very interesting <laughs> <laughs> so this series this seat this episode here is also connected to two episodes, I think I may have mentioned them earlier in the original series, The Cage and The Menagerie. I haven't watched it, but for the listening audience, if you're interested in more about like how they're connected, I believe there's some Easter eggs here, then watch The Cage and The Menagerie in the um, Star Trek original series. Oh, and check out uh, the short track called Calypso. That one's okay. Yeah. You've heard her people, you have your marching orders. <laughs> So any final thoughts for this episode before we end? I just think that Michael and, uh, and Spock should have like destroyed DS8. Maybe they did and they just didn't tell us. But before they left and returned to Discovery, they should have destroyed that ship, especially before the thinking about- The Section 31 this. ship? Yeah, the Section yeah. 31 ship, thanks. Um, they should have destroyed that before um, even thinking about destroying Dis Discovery. Um, because someone could reinstate control over there. Um, and control could be anyone at any time, anywhere. So I, I guess I'm like worried about all of the characters in this way. <laughs> anyone this, could be. Because it seems like it takes over your memories. Yeah. And so if you had a safe word, they would know. So how do you protect yourself against that because you can always scan because the computer was able to scan and find control um on the section 31 ship but how do you do that every single time so very interesting um again i like i said i like this episode i thought this gave us um i got i thought this was returning us to a little bit more of the star trek i know and love <laughs> Um, I'm very excited for the next two episodes to see if I'm right, if it's because they try to blow up the ship that they get propelled somewhere else throughout time. Um, we'll see how they solve this mystery. Um, but as always, I'm Andrea. And I'm Monika. And live long live and prosper. And prosper.
Hey guys, it's Andrea. Thank you for listening to the most recent episode of our podcast, Trekking and Beyond. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes. If you enjoyed listening to us, please go ahead and support us by clicking that support button in the episode's description. We greatly appreciate it. As always, live long and prosper.